This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is LaChina Robinson. LaChina, how's it going? It's going all right, Paul. You know, uh, we're in difficult times, challenging times right now, but I'm thankful to be healthy and my family's healthy, so no complaints. How about yourself? Yeah, definitely uh, feel you on that. Yeah, it's pretty weird, but uh, I'm I'm doing good. Same family's all right, so pretty good right now. Where are you uh, located at? I'm in Atlanta. Oh, I've been God. here for about gosh, maybe 17 years now. Mm-hmm. I spent one year after I graduated from Wake Forest in Greensboro, but after that, I got a job at Georgia Tech, and I've been in Atlanta ever since. Never left. Gotcha. Yeah, going back in time, uh, how'd you get involved uh, playing basketball? Yeah, so I was that reluctant little girl when it came to sports. (laughs) I had two older sisters that played basketball. One was on my dad's side, which I didn't spend as much time with. My older sister actually did earn a college scholarship on his side of the family. And then my older sister on my mom's side played in high school. But, you know, I, I wanted to fit in, so I wanted to be a cheerleader like the rest of my friends. And then, obviously... When we realized at 14 years old that I was 6'4", mm-hmm. a little bit of a change of heart. <laughs> but it really was a, a guy in my neighborhood named Michael J. continued to come to my house and beg my mom to let me play basketball. And One day, he mentioned that I could earn a college scholarship. And that's really all it took for my mom to hear. Uh, she was big, always has been big on education. And she pretty much dropped me off to practice the next day and never came to pick me up you know like now you have found a space in the world where you can flourish and get a free education and um, I started to learn how to make friends and found my voice you know, at a low confidence level as a as a 14 year old as a teenager and uh, basketball was the first place I really felt like I was belong I belonged and felt like that was the reason why I was different because the size gave me an advantage but I would learn to just love to compete and play the game, but that's how I got into it. Yeah, you were six four at fourteen. I was six foot four at fourteen. I actually grew three inches from my let's see, fourteen. I was probably a freshman, so I, yeah. I grew. I was six foot or six one in the eighth grade, so I probably grew like three or four inches over one one summer, which was a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and then what was your recruiting process like out of high school? Well, because I had started playing late, and I was not very good when I started playing at 14 years old, I was grateful that a man named Fred Priester, who had an AAU program called the Virginia Vogue, gave me a shot to join his team. And there hadn't been anyone added to this team in many, many years, but I'm sure the fact that I was 6'4 was kind of helped me along a little bit. But I wasn't very good to start, and it took me a while to develop, but I did get I started to get some Division One offers. You know, my teammates were really good and had played since they were younger. So I, I played with a post player that went to Virginia Tech, and I mean, they were rolling. But I ended up, my college decision came down to Wake Forest, Clemson, JMU, and Florida A&M. So that was kind of the recruitment process. I went on three of those visits, and after every school, I thought I was going to that school. So I, I left JMU thinking I was going to go there, and then I left Clemson thinking I was going to go there. Then after we finished up at Wake Forest, because of the size, it was a smaller school, 
I needed that one-on-one academic attention. My head coach was a woman of color, which was something my mother really was excited about, having me play under someone who was in a leadership position, who looked like me. You know, just playing in the ACC, the academic opportunities, Wake Forest ended up being the place for me. Yeah, then what was your overall experience like at Wake Forest? It was definitely challenging. I think going off to college for any young person is tough, but definitely for me in particular because I was still finding my way on the basketball court. Wake Forest is a predominantly white school, so I was a minority, and you know I had grown up in a very diverse high school situation, just being away from home in general. But the transition was so challenging for me that I really honed in on academics and basketball, so I ended up making the Beans list my freshman year. I was on the all-freshman team at Wake Forest my freshman year. So, you know, a lot of good things came from the the challenge of a transition like that. But I think it was definitely a a different environment than what I was used to. And I was challenged to just really find a different skill set and just manage to live on my own and what that looked like. Yeah, like during college, did you know what you wanted to do after college, like broadcasting-wise? I did not. I was a sociology major almost by force. (laughs) And I say that because I came into college thinking I wanted to be a lawyer, but then I was like, oh, when I find out how much reading and writing I had to do, wasn't signing up for that. I almost failed my intro class in psychology after I wanted to try that as a major. So I was figured that was probably not a good move for me either. And then I just started to look into different majors and what the coursework was like. And when I looked up sociology, I was going to be taking classes like death and dying and marriage and the family, social equality. And these were all things that I was interested in that resonated with me. I always loved people and society and how they interact. And so I really just followed what I was passionate about moment by moment. And that landed me as a sociology major. And when I was done with college, I hadn't even thought about broadcasting. I mean, I didn't get into broadcasting until I was in my late 20s. So I actually spent the first seven years of my career in athletic administration. Got an internship at the ACC, worked at Georgia Tech, loved it, loved what I did, and then kind of went through a a career pivot in my late 20s after going through a low point in my life and and finding kind of a new sense of purpose. So, you know, it was a, a zigzag road. You try things, you like it, you don't, you kind of move forward. And you allow yourself to change and shift as well. You know, you grow as a person and, you know, what your purpose today may not be your purpose in 10 years from now, but you wake up and you do what means the most to you today and it kind of helps you find your journey. And so when I was in my late 20s, I made the pivot into broadcasting and I've been doing that the last 11 years. Yeah, and, like, how did you get into broadcasting? Like, what was, like, your first jobs in in broadcasting? Yeah, so I started off in radio at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. I was working there on the administrative side, and one day they were like, hey, do you want to try to do the radio broadcast? And I was like, sure. And the first day I put a headset on, I knew that that was something that I was going to be interested in doing more of because I felt so close to the game. You know, I was one of those that always knew I didn't want to coach. and that's about as close to the game as you could be if you're not playing. But I just didn't know and and probably didn't have the confidence in my skill set to do much other than that when I transitioned out of college. So I 
gained experience on the administrative side, and that's what was good to me. Well, I put that headset on, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I started doing the radio for the team because when we traveled, I would plan travel, but I didn't sit on the bench. I didn't have any game responsibilities. So I uh, did the radio, loved that, and from there started to just become a little bit obsessed about integrating myself into spaces where I felt like I could meet people that would give me broadcasting opportunities or learning. I mean, I used to shadow every time there was a game at Georgia Tech, I wanted to shadow the analysts. I wanted to shadow, shadow the sideline reporter, sit in the truck. It was really building a, an education in a space where I had no experience from scratch. You know, there really isn't a broadcast school. And what I mean by that is when that light comes on, you either know what you're going to say or you don't. You know, you either can get it out of your mouth or you can't. And you can sit in the classroom and learn a ton of things, but not until you're on the field or have that microphone in your in your hand or they say and you're on, do you know if you can actually do it? So, you know, I did a lot of shadowing and things like that. And then I just started taking whatever job I could to get a microphone in my hand. I mean, that's when broadcasting things online wasn't as popular, but if I could find an opportunity to do a one-on-one interview or, you know, I started at a very small regional network called CSS here in the Southeast, and it was like, okay, if someone gets sick, give me a call, because that was really the only way anybody was going to give me a chance. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how it happened. You know, I had no broadcast experience. I was a broadcast major, so people were saying, oh, let's let's call her. She probably knows what she's doing. (laughs) You know, so it was more about just positioning myself so that if an opportunity came, I would be ready for it. Yeah, were you also sending out, like, reels? Absolutely. I mean, at that point... (laughs) Because I was doing radio, there wasn't a real reel, right? So I was sending out CDs (laughs) (laughs) of my games, you know, old school. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was sending out CDs of me doing radio. People would listen and critique me, and I would try to make changes. But it really takes you getting that first television opportunity. Um, And like I said, it was at a very small regional network. Someone couldn't come. I was whatever number on the list of people they called. And once I started to get those on-camera jobs, that's when I started to build a reel. But I honestly did not have a reel for a while, but I just didn't have enough work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was already doing substantial work for ESPN by the time I got a full reel. And and the thing about women's basketball is that all along, I had been establishing my brand. Even when I was working with the women's basketball team at Georgia Tech, I was meeting people along the way who knew people who were in position for this sport. So that was important, right? It wasn't like I was trying to go out and be a hockey analyst. Like, And I knew the sport and I knew the coaches and I had been studying even before I decided to get into broadcasting. So, you know, that helped me as well that I had an established respect and brand and presence in this space even before I would ever be able to have an actual reel. Yeah, and then 2009, you got hired at ESPN. So how did that come about? Yeah, so I, thanks to a woman named Carol Stiff, um, I was at a conference for what was NACWA, which was the National Association of Collegiate Women Athletic Administrators, which is now Women Leaders. So I was there at a conference because I wasn't in administration at that time, but I was starting to try to transition into doing television. And Carol, who has been at ESPN, I mean, she may be, I know she's at the senior level as far as television programming and at the senior executive level in 
in the organization. She's been there a long time, and she donated an opportunity for a raffle. So they were doing this, and actually it was an auction. They were doing an auction, and everyone was bringing different things from their company, and Carol was having them auction off an opportunity for someone to visit ESPN. So I'm sitting in the audience, and I'm like, oh, boy, I hear that that's one of the things they're auctioning. Now, keep in mind, I'm making, like, no money. So as the number keeps going up for this auction, I'm like, oh, there is no way I can afford that, right? So I'm not putting my hand up. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting there salivating, wishing that, you know, that opportunity could be mine. Well, it just so happens, Mary McElroy, who was the senior women administrator at the time at Georgia Tech where I was working, won that opportunity to go to ESPN. And immediately after that was over, I ran over to her and was like, Carol, I have to have this. No, no, I'm sorry. I said, Mary, I have to have this. I said, you know, I can't afford it, but I can pay you an installment. (laughs) So, you know, at the time, it was probably like 50 bucks a month. And I was like, I can pay you an installment, but I have to have this. So I ended up taking that trip to Bristol, meeting people at ESPN, including Carol, who introduced me to a woman named Tina Thornton, who not only was she in charge of talent over women's basketball, but she was also a former Wake Forest graduate. So it was networking mm-hmm. at its finest. And I also just think the alignment of the stars. God knows where you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be or where you're supposed to go. He opens the doors. And that trip was something that was definitely God opening up the doors for me because it had aligned so perfectly. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, and then you on, you've been working there 10 plus years now. What's your experience been like working for ESPN? I know you do um, stuff for, well, you did stuff for Atlanta Dream and uh, Fox Sports South. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, no one does more for women's basketball from a broadcasting standpoint than ESPN. Mm-hmm. So it's not even close. I mean, we have the women's tournament. We have the WNBA season and playoffs and finals. So to be working, if you want to work at the highest level for the sport that I love, that's where you want to be. And I couldn't say enough about the opportunities that I've been given. I mean, I wasn't an All-American. I wasn't an Olympian. I wasn't a champion. We didn't even make the NCAA tournament when I was in college. So for me to be sitting in some of the places I've been sitting, whether it's the WNBA finals or as a regional analyst on the college level or, you know, whatever that is, is it's, I, it, it blows my mind. I never thought that I would get those opportunities. So I'm grateful to work at a company that has recognized my hard work and has elevated me and is given the sport that I love the attention that it deserves. Yeah. What about, how do you think women's basketball and like WNBA, how, like what do you think could help it grow? First and foremost, just more companies investing in sponsorships. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, women's basketball in general needs more exposure. They need more visibility, and it comes from investing. You know, um, companies investing in the marketing of the sport at various levels, uh, media entities committing to more coverage of the sport that aren't already giving it the attention. So it definitely starts more there with just big companies saying, hey, we want to give to women's basketball, to WBA, whatever the case is. But then I think it's also just it takes a shifted attitude. You know, there are still people out here that believe that women shouldn't be playing basketball. And you would think that we would be way beyond that attitude at this point, but we're not. 
So we need those people to get over it (laughs) and give the game a chance. Just watch it. You know, if you don't like it, fine. You know, go about your business and you can say whatever you want to say. But a lot of the critics are just people that have a misogynistic attitude in general about women and refuse to give the sport a chance. And we just need more people to open their eyes and see that these women are the best athletes in the world and they're great at what they do and deserve all the support just like any other sport. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I like uh, the most recently is uh, I've seen a lot of like NBA players supporting, which I think is going to help in the long run. And I've seen like a couple of players actually like wear their jerseys too. Yeah, I mean, it at least opens people's eyes because there is a high level of respect for the NBA. It's more established, obviously, because it's been around a lot longer than the WNBA. And so uh, it definitely helps. And it's genuine. You know, it's uh, the genuine respect because basketball is basketball, no matter the level. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, And then I know you have a podcast, too, Around the Rim. Uh, How'd that come about? Yeah, so... um, it just really came out of a desire to have further conversation around our sport. You know, podcasting, as you know, is on the rise and it's a platform that people are, are using to speak their mind on various topics freely. You know, you don't always have open space, open time, open opportunity to talk about everything, whether it's on television or I'm not a great writer. You know, those platforms aren't for everyone. So I actually met with a woman named Laura Gentilly who is another high-ranking exec at ESPN, um, sat down with her in New York about five years ago and said, hey, I got this idea. And um, told her about a show, podcast for women's basketball. Well, it started it with Chenea Gumake and I have a, a producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, that's been with me the entire time. Chenea no longer does it with us, but it started out, Chenea and I having a conversation at NBA TV and saying, hey, we need something you know, cool and, and fresh and culturally relevant for our sport in order to attract even a younger audience. And so those are the ideas. And we are about to have our fifth WNBA season, I believe, which is crazy. But um, just a fun platform where we can tell the stories of women's basketball and have coaches and players on and talk about hot topics and further the conversation about big games that happen throughout the year, both in college and WNBA. So it's, it's just a great space to give the sport more love. Yeah. And for the podcast, like what's your process when like you're interviewing someone, like what's your like researching them and like the questions you want to ask? Well, I mean, I try to let my natural curiosity take over. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just about how can we best, tell this story so that it resonates with whoever is listening in our audience. So we have coaches that listen and fans that listen and former players or current players that listen in different groups. They all have different interests at various levels, but we just basically try to bring out the personality of our guests. You know, if they're an expert, obviously we want to put that on display, but we just want to find a way to connect with our audience in a way that's not already happening for our sport. And hopefully just bringing out some of the personalities, but also going a little deeper in the level of, of coverage. Um, I think is definitely something that is on our mind every time we interview someone is finding out, you know, what's behind this win? What's behind the success of this program? How did you get involved in basketball? There's so many different angles you can look at it. Yeah, and I know you also have um, your own company, Rising Media Stars. How did uh, you start that? 
Yeah, Rising Media Stars is um, a nonprofit. Actually, we right now we're about to achieve our, our nonprofit status officially. But um, I started it as a training program for young women of color that want to get into broadcasting. You know, I've had an amazing career and hope to do this for many years, but it was a tough transition in, in terms of just finding and figuring out what I needed to know and have to get to this space. So once I sat down and said, okay, I love the, where my career is now, the next desire was to help other people who maybe wanted to be where I was. And so my co-founder, Kevin Nixon, and I had already been bringing young women to games and having them shadow us. He does video production. This was more when I was an analyst for the dream that this started. But young women would come in and shadow me and get to sit in the truck and they would, you know, get to sit on the headset and listen to how we're communicating with the producers. You know, just basically giving them a behind the scenes of how it all works. And we just formalized the program, honestly. So we basically have been doing this for a long time, but now we have a formal program where our young women actually get experience behind the camera, Mm -hmm. um, in front of the camera. They get to do stand-ups and learn how to ask questions and have a deeper understanding of their own personal brands. I mean, we go into it at various levels, but the most important part is they come out of the program with a reel Mm -hmm. because they get to cover the United and Atlanta Dream and the Falcons and the Hawks. We have great partnerships through our board of directors with those programs and those sports teams that allow our young women to come in and actually cover it like they would if they were hired. And so they get footage. I definitely do my fair share of critiquing them and giving them feedback, which is good. We connect them to mentors. We've had amazing women come in and be involved in our program using their resources to help and also guiding and answering questions. So it's a team effort, but, you know, there's a lack of coverage of women's sports, but there's also a lack of women covering sports and especially women of color. So if I can impact that number, that very closely resonates with my purpose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that point right there, that there has to be more women's broadcasters covering women's sports for sure. Um, And then, yeah, another one is uh, what advice would you give to a young broadcaster? Just to get your feet wet, you know, get out there in the field. Um, Even if it's just practicing with your friend holding your camera and you doing a fake (laughs) stand-up outside of a stadium, you know, practice. Get comfortable with how you look on camera and what you sound like. And, you know, even when you don't have an official job, you can always do a recap of a game that you saw. What would you say about this game? What questions would you ask LeBron after this game? There are always ways to get practice, and it makes perfect. You can't wait till you get in front of the camera for the first time to figure out if you know what you're doing or not. I used to practice on my phone all the time and just play it back. How do I sound? Did I make sense? Was I talking too fast? I was using my hands too much. So it's a process of finding your voice, and it's, it's something that you can start doing on your own. Yeah, for sure. You ready for some fun questions? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, what's your favorite song right now? Uh, my favorite song right now? Oh, good question. Um, let's see. My favorite song right now is probably Savage. All right. I like that. If you had to do a jersey exchange with somebody, who would you do with it? Let's pick uh, one WNBA player or one NBA player. 
NBA, definitely Patrick Ewing. WNBA, Tamika Catching. All right. That, you might have been the fastest person to answer that question before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I know my favorite. It doesn't yeah. take me long. And I, I don't change them up either. So. <laughs> I like that. Uh, what do you like to do in your free time? Free time, I love to eat. So I love to try different restaurants. I always love getting my nails done. And that's something that is therapeutic for me, <laughs> getting my nails and toes done. And um, I'm working out has become something that's more important to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I definitely need to do it more consistently, but I, I just love getting a sweat. Yeah. And uh, last one, what's been like the most memorable or your favorite game that you covered? Favorite game that I covered by far was game five of the WNBA final 2016 when the LA Sparks beat the Minnesota Lynx in the waning moments of a crazy game five after just, the most amazing series I've ever covered in my career. It was just a, a game that goes down to history as one of the greatest and maybe the best series the sport has ever had. That would definitely be my pick. I'm impressed that you had those answers so fast. Usually people are like, ah, oh, hold on, let me think. <laughs> but, uh, like you said. I know, I know myself pretty well. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can come up with some. I, I it's pretty consistent for me, so I don't have to think. You know, yeah, same thing today that it was five years ago. You know, um, mm-hmm. as far as my favorite players, and I don't change very much. I don't vary very much. Yeah, I like that. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, could you let the listeners know where they could follow you at? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Lachina Robinson. I'm on Instagram at Live to Inspire, the number two, and yeah, that's where you can reach me. Uh, again, I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for showcasing that you do and, and for elevating women athletes as well and um, women in sports. And um, stay safe.